Hello, this is Saul Luckman. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Conversations on Saul Luckman Uncensored, sponsored by snooze2awaken.com, resources for lucidity. For more information about my work, including a lot of cutting-edge free content, check out crowrising.com. I'm also on Telegram, where I'm sharing daily truth bombs at t.me slash saulluckman, and I'm absolutely crushing it on Substack at saulluckman.substack.com. If you appreciate what I'm doing here and interviewing some of the greatest minds and hearts in the whole truth and nothing but community, please take a second to give this video and channel some love energy exchange. Comment, like, subscribe, and by all means, consider buying me a cup of coffee that I'll be sure to savor with the toast in your honor. Today, I'm excited to chat with Chef Pete Evans, and I'm going to do something a little different by not introducing my guest. I'll post links to two of our chats as well as his website in the show notes. Suffice it to say, by way of getting the ball rolling, that Pete is a high-profile figure in Australia with a fascinating, and I think you'll find inspiring, story that I'd like to have him share personally over the course of our conversation. It's great to see you again, Pete. How are you, and how have you been since we last spoke? Mate, I've been fantastic. Thank you so much for asking, and uh, thank you for having me on your program, and g'day everyone, wherever you are around the world. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Well, you know, I first... I first, I had heard your name, but not being down under, I wasn't really aware of who you were. I watched a wonderful interview, a chat that you had with Charlie Ward a couple of years ago, I think it was a year and a half, two years ago. And then I, you know, explored uh, your, your work a little bit and was just really fascinated by your story. And I saw that you were getting kind of hit really hard in the press. And then since then, you've made some changes in your life. And I, I thought it would be fun to just allow you to kind of introduce yourself to this world that is sort of coalescing around some of the stuff <laughs> that I'm doing, so. <laughs> yeah, and I love that that you didn't introduce me because I, it's interesting, I've been doing interviews now for quite some time and I've got my own podcast channel and interviewed over 400 people and and it's the least sort of interesting part is the backstory for me or, or doing an introduction, I'd rather just have a chat with somebody and uh, see what flows. Because um, one thing that I've learned over my life is oh, my belief or perception is we get can get stuck in our stories of our identity and who we are. And we seem to repeat that to whoever we meet. And it just becomes this unending sort of, you know, without putting it too mildly, vomit <laughs> of, of, our, of, our, of our pains, of our beliefs, of our... Fuck everything, you know. Who else can I tell my my story to? Who else can I share my my pain to? You know, and I'm not saying that anything's bad about that, but I consciously made a decision when I interview people, trying to not to, you know, trying is a bit of a weasel word, but attempting not to go too deep into the stories that they've told a thousand fucking times. You know, I, I much prefer to see what pops out of a new conversation. And uh, that's always my intention when I interview people is like, can we get to a point, a, a part where perhaps this person has never shot before? So I'm open to do that with you too today, um, if, if it flows. But to give everyone a little background to my story, um, I'm just about to turn 49 years of age, as you mentioned, fall here in Australia and different parts of the world as well, uh, due in fact to the decision that I made as a, as a young man or as a teenager to become a chef 
And the reason I became a chef was to learn a life skill, but really underneath that underpinning my decision at the age of 17 or 16 of what I wanted to do in the world, it was to leave home, to leave the nest, to, to see what it was like to fly on my own out of the parental constructs and the belief systems that my parents held and that I had adopted um, and also through the culture. So the decision to leave the nest was the catalyst. And then I had to look at all the options available to me. Um, what am I going to do for a job? Because to leave the nest, I needed to earn money and to pay a way forward. And I looked at all the trades that were available to me and I wanted to do a trade because I found that high school was not really my my jam, so to speak, if I could use the palm there of uh, cooking. Oh. It, it, it didn't feel right to me to go into another, I guess, academic environment. Um, I, you know, and just to put a caveat on that as well, I, I was really good at maths. I loved systems. I loved how things were organized. So I had that type of left brain mentality mm. and, but sitting in a classroom just didn't appeal to me. It didn't, it didn't fulfill me. It didn't nourish me. It didn't teach me who I was really. So when I looked at the trades that were available, a builder, an electrician, a plumber, a butcher, a hairdresser, and the list went on and on. I looked at them all and I thought, what would actually benefit me as a life skill? And what potentially could I learn that I'd be able to do for the rest of my life? And cooking was the one that made the most sense to me. Learning how to cook, it ticked so many boxes. It ticked the main box, which was, if I learn to do this skill, I'll be able to do this for the rest of my life and I'll be able to do it really well. Now, what will that be able to influence? Obviously at the age of 16, 17, I was fascinated about, for me, the other sex and, and, <laughs> and what that would be like, you know, and, and that ticked a big box. I was like, fuck, if I learn how to cook, this could come in handy down the track or actually oh, pretty right. soon, you know, as a, as a, as a skill that could benefit me, you know, and, and that might sound a bit shallow, but that's where my head was at at that point in time, you know, and uh, subsequently I, I went on to learn how to massage. I went on to learn so many different things and, and still a part of that was how do I attract the other sex? How can I offer gifts to people that I wanted to spend time with? So I wrote so, in um, my, uh, first, my first novel, some, Beginner's Luke, something along the lines of, um, uh, it was one of the books in that series, but it was, the quote was, uh, you know, the, on, uh, the only reason to do art is to get laid. <laughs> okay, I could have simplified it. I could have just said that. But yeah, part of, one of the boxes was that. And, uh, <laughs> it was interesting. It was really interesting. And and. Did so I delved into did you have any um did you have any particular warm and fuzzy sustaining soul foody memories from childhood that that informed that decision or were you just looking at this more from a from a left brain logical analysis mm -hmm. point 
it was, it was a practical decision for me, you know, and, and what I came to realize over my career in the, in the culinary industry is, and if you've ever read Kitchen Confidential by the late Anthony Bourdain, it really, it really illustrates what the hospitality industry was like back in the, back in the eighties and nineties, when I, when I started um, my career, it was, it was tough. Like it was really, really, really tough uh, to enter that world as, as a kid that had a pretty cushy upbringing, you know, and I had a very, very blessed upbringing and very comfortable. So to be thrust by mm. choice in, into a, into a world that was quite cutthroat, quite, um, hierarchical, quite set up in a way that many people uh, compare it to the military or what it's like to be going through a, a medical practice. You know, not not so much the uh, the the intellectual side of that, but more the physical and mental side, because we would work 16, 17 hours a day five, six, seven days a week, you know, our average working week was 80 hours to hundred hours a week. And I, and I sustained that for 20 years. Wow. What that taught me about myself and probably anyone that's gone through any training or any initiation where they've been pushed to the limits, physically, mentally, emotionally, some would say spiritually, you get to learn a lot about yourself in that process so unbeknownst to me, I was entering into an initiatory stage of my life from boy to man. And, you know, nobody could explain that to a 16, 17 year old at the time. Um, you know, I grew up surfing and I was quite carefree and, and um, yeah, going into that world, it was a shock. It was a shock to the system. And, you know, the physical abuse, the mental abuse or emotional abuse was, was rampant. You know, you couldn't escape it in that industry at that particular point in time. Uh, it has changed. It has evolved to be uh, a little bit more nourishing <laughs> for people that enter that industry. And I think uh, mainstream television and the reality shows such as MasterChef shows that I was on here in Australia called My Kitchen Rules and, and the like, and the the emergence of the celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay, Jamie Oliver, Mario Batali, uh, Nigella Lawson, Martha Stewart, not that some of these are chefs, but they're home cooks that have become household names where their one desire is to teach people around the world how to cook delicious food. That's all the celebrity chef is, is somebody that takes their experience and condenses it and pushes it back out there into the <clears throat> into the public realm hopefully to simplify already a quite a simple process and coming from that left brain um, perspective cooking is the easiest thing in the world it's a set of ingredients or a list of ingredients cooked in a certain method for a desired result like it's pretty hard to fuck up it is so simple and once I was in that camp or in that industry, I realized that it was such a simple process, but the key to um, move up the ladder, so to speak, and become excellent in it was how well you could run a team and how well you could manage your staff. And I, I went through the levels of that from an early age and, and, I think I was 19 and 
I started reading self-improvement books, management books. Um, I was second or third year apprentice. And I knew that for me to really get the most out of this, I needed to invest so much into understanding how to run these individuals that, and again, I'll refer back to Kitchen Confidential, these misfits, these people that didn't really find a place in society and very few had a passion for cooking. It's just sort of like the last destination for, for the people that didn't know what they wanted to do in the world. But mm. okay. Um, uh, uh, cooking. <laughs> very yeah. few people entered the cooking realm that had a passion for it. And I can say that a hand in the heart, you know, it's not as romantic as people believe it would be in a, in a, in a, um, in a commercial kitchen it's it's dirty it's 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 sweaty it's 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 tough it's grueling and it's it's a place where drug use and alcoholism and depression and anxiety and all of these things sort of commingle with each, with each other and and getting laid and flippant relationships and transient relationships and moving here and there it's, it's quite a fascinating world and it can break you and it can it can also offer such amazing opportunities for personal growth or it can destroy you. <laughs> Very few people that start the industry, start in the industry, continue it. Uh, I think the, the success rate of restaurants is 3%, anybody that starts their own restaurant. Um, very few people that enter into the industry actually make it out the other side with a smile on their face. So um, right. that's why there is a handful of people that I just listed that are sort of well-known names because it's it's sort of, it, it creates an atmosphere or an environment that the toughest will survive. So it's, um, it, it taught me so much about myself that, as you alluded to, uh, the mainstream media uh, talking about me and over the last 10 years, it, it, it prepared me for that in so many ways that uh, nothing mainstream media ever could dent my armor, so to speak. <laughs> and and uh, especially after, after you've uh, gone on a few or many, many psychedelic journeys or initiation experiences yourself, um, whether it be through toad medicine, 5-MeO-DMT, ayahuasca, mushrooms, wachuma or San Pedro or breath work, that and you can probably understand this as well. And your listeners, once you've been through and experienced your own death, experienced your own shadows and, and confronted your own fears in such a way that um, many people that have never gone through that will not understand. Um, it's really interesting. You, 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 you were well equipped. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but you were well equipped to deal with the superficial side of life like mainstream media writing a story about you well i was just having a kind of meta moment because i'm looking at your madman artwork on the wall behind you of him looking at himself falling right so he is literally you know going through that near-death experience it was just a kind of funny meta meta moment 
I wanted to ask you, and I want to get into the stuff that happened in the last few years with all the all the uh, pandemic stuff. But you, you know, you mentioned. I thought it was amazing that you had the presence of mind, uh, the awareness at you know seventeen, eighteen years old to start reading self help books and and um, other related works. Do you have any that stand out that really really impacted you? Were there any authors who really spoke your language and inspired you to? to take your game to the next level? Yeah, at that point in my life, I mean, two really, <laughs> two sort of different extremes. One was Anthony Robbins or Tony Robbins, uh, mm -hmm. the motivational master, you know, and no matter what you think of him and his message, he is a very gifted motivational speaker. Sure. And I went to his three-day workshop when I was 19 and walked across the coals. And, oh, my. And, and I read both of his books in the matter of, I think I devoured Unlimited Power and Awaken the Giant within probably within a week of each other at the age of 19. And, and reading first Unlimited Power, it was, it was a slap in the face. It was a slap to my soul. It was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck? because <laughs> he was talking he was talking about breath work back then and this is back in 1991 or something right and he was talking about dietary principles he was talking about facing your fears he was talking about setting intentions and planning for your future and after going to school for 12 years you know nothing that he had written was ever taught to me or anybody that I know of mm. in that environment where you have just spent 12 years times six or eight hours every day, five days a week of your life. Like they didn't teach us how to cook. They didn't teach us how to think, breathe, and meditate and how our bodies work functionally and talk about, facing fears, setting goals. So for me, I was like, it was, it was like, okay, this is the type of school that I want to and need to attend, especially at that point in time where I was heavily invested in my career as a, as a cook. And the second book was The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And, um, you know. Oh, that's great. I have a wonderful memory of sitting in a little cafe in um in rio years ago mm. and he just walks right by me no and, way yeah it was really funny it was he lived in that neighborhood and uh that was the only time i ever saw him but he just walked right by a very just strolled by like he was out for his evening stroll yeah that that book really really spoke to me in a way that um very few books ever have to this day as well and, and it's interesting, my wife and I own a wellness retreat here in the rainforest of uh, North New South Wales, and we have seven cabins, and I have a list of books in there that um, we don't have any Wi-Fi or, or phone reception, and we don't have televisions, so when the guests arrive for their weekend or week visit, all they have is pretty much the books and whatever they bring to read, and, and I have about eight or nine books in the rooms. And one of them is The Alchemist. One of them is Jonathan Livingston's The Seagull. One of them is Being Human by Martin Ball, uh, who talks about 5-MeO-DMT and what it means in his perspective to uh, 
live in the paradox or be in the paradox of you are an individual human being but at the same time you are also god deal with it (laughs) i love it deal with it deal with it you're god you're creating everything and you're also an individual piece of consciousness that's the whole anyway and um and there's a few other books in there as well as i as i mentioned but those two books really sort of changed the way i viewed this reality and my place in this reality and the the unlimited possibilities that each and every one of us has to express ourselves creatively as a human being in this reality and um, that's something that has been sort of my constant belief over the years is that we are here to express our unique talents and gifts and to grow and to evolve and to learn and teach in equal quantities and yeah and and really express our joy and Mm. yeah that's i can sum it up in in that sentence there Um, oh yeah that'd be a good so yeah express your joy It'd be a good t-shirt or bumper sticker. You could do that for the Evolve Network. <laughs> Evolve with Pete Evans. Express your joy. <laughs> and, and, and it was my wife that uh, painted that Mad Men. Because when That's we, awesome. When I mean, it's such an amazing when, show. When we got together, we, we watched the series and she's a, she's a wonderful artist. And she, uh, she gifted me and our and our homes with some beautiful artwork and she painted uh the most amazing jim morrison because she knew that i'm a huge jim morrison doors fan and she painted a robert smith from the cure oh and and obviously mad men was was one of these as well that you know i just fell in love with with uh, one of my big passions is really great filmmaking or television making. You know, I, I when I grew up, that was sort of my best friend. You know, I was quite mm-hmm. introverted. I didn't have very many friends. And my my greatest memories was my mother or father taking me to the films, to the movies when I was young. And, you know, a, as a father, I, I continued that tradition with my own children. <laughs> it was interesting. My, my daughters now are 17 and 16. And, and I took my oldest daughter a couple of weeks ago to see the new Elvis film. And um, yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's, it's probably what, one of the best films I've seen in, in so many years. You know, okay, the art of good okay. filmmaking yeah. seems to have, have slipped off the radar for, for mm. so many directors over the years. But yeah, Baz, Baz Luhrmann, you know, his, his movies have been hit and miss for me. The top three as Romeo and Juliet, Strictly Ballroom, which was one of his first ones based here in Australia. That was great. Yeah, wow. yeah. Whereas I couldn't stand Moulin Rouge, Australia, or um, The Great Gatsby. You know, that, that, that's, <clears throat> that's the sign of a great artist. You know, it's like a great chef. Mama Fuku, David Chang. You know, when I go to New York, I always pop into David Chang's restaurant, Mama Fuku uh, Co., or a sambar and yeah half of the food is the best things i've ever eaten the other half is just 
rubbish sometimes <laughs> but that's that but that's the artistic expression of somebody you know you can't please everybody and and that's why I was so thrilled to be able to go and see Elvis with my daughter because she's like do you think it'll be good I said I don't know that I don't like know what she she loved it and I, I took my wife to see it last week or so I've seen it twice now and yeah I I fell in love with it and, and funnily enough Baz used to come in to my restaurant back in the early days you know it was um it was one of his haunts so and I saw him he was in uh he was in my neighborhood eating at a restaurant recently my wife and I were having some oysters and he was there with his family I hadn't seen him for over a decade and I said g'day mate how are you I said what are you doing here I'm making a film about Elvis I said Fucking no way! Like, <laughs> like if, <coughs> making a film about Elvis, you know. And um, yeah, if you get it. a chance, go and see it. And, and you know, it's um, well, one of my neighbors it, it, really spoke highly of it, so it's been on my radar. I think I'll do it. Yeah, do it. So I don't know why I got to do that. I think it was about creative, creative expression on my wife and being an artist and and sharing her passion and it brought me so much joy. And funnily enough, I only put this um, painting up today. I just because we moved house six months ago and had been in wrapper, and just before we did the interview, I was I was pulling it out, and when I realised we were going to have a chat, I thought that's going to be my backdrop for uh, the Soul Luckman chat. It's really great, you know, and speaking of painting and this conversation, I have a painting called Strictly Ballroom, and I have a portrait of Anthony Bourdain that I've done. So wow. very funny that, that. Were, these are showing up uh, in, in this conversation. I, I don't know Anthony Bourdain. Who know anything about uh, Strictly Ballroom. I mean, you know, that's a movie I've seen probably three or four times. I thought it was just charming. Uh, it's such a beautiful film. And uh, yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting Anthony while he was alive and uh, interesting, interesting cat he was, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, what a talented uh, being. And I know that there was a, a bit of a tortured soul aspect going on there too, but just to be able to do what he did from a culinary perspective, to be able to organize the troops and be a leader in, in the way that you would have to be as you were describing, and then to be able to write like that and, and act, you know, is really, really cool. Well, there, there, here's, that's that's what I love to talk about as well. And I haven't really talked about it too much, but being able to wear different hats, you know, and Anthony Bourdain is a, is a classic example of that. Is a wonderful, wonderful chef, ran these restaurants, but also a very, very talented writer and, and presenter as well. So what I, I was actually sitting with my daughter this week in Sydney and... Uh, the seven, my 17 year old whose name is Chili and she's doing her last year of high school. And I said, what are your thoughts for your career? Have you given it much thought? She goes, one thing I don't want to do is sit in a, sit in an office. I said, fantastic. Yeah. I said, so where, what does that leave you with? Like, what are your thoughts? And she's academically brilliant. Um, she's artistically brilliant she actually just had one of her artworks uh, appear in a, um, a wonderful art exhibition. Um, she, and so did my other daughter, actually. And oh, uh, she, sold her, she sold her first piece for quite a, quite a good sum of money. And, and uh, so she's got the ability to express herself through art. She's, she's a wonderful dancer. She has the ability to express herself through art. She's an um, award-winning uh, snow skier. She, 
So okay. she has that, but then she's academic as well. She's at the top of her fancy school year. And, and she goes, I have, I have so many options. I said, fucking, isn't that beautiful? Hmm. And I said, there's an, and there's no rush. I said, there's no rush. And, and I said, you know, I can't, and I won't tell you what to do. I said, my only advice is to express your creativity and your passion. And I said, you can never go wrong there because you were the type of person that will achieve their dreams and goals, regardless of what it is. And, you know, and, and you could see the recognition in the eyes and, and in the spirit when we're having that conversation that she has no fear about what she's going to do because she trusts in her abilities and she trusts in her unique talents. And at 17, you know, I, I wish I had, I had a, a, a tiny bit of what she already possesses at that age. You know, it took me a long, long time to cultivate that, cultivate that confidence in myself, um, you know, and, and yet she, yeah. she would probably think one of these days that she was just standing on the shoulders of giants, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I have a, I have a, a son in the same age range and he's taking a year off after high school. And I think that's important possibly for some kids is to not be forced to make that decision very quickly and to be able to explore or take classes or do things online or work through whatever, you know. And he's really trying to feel out what he wants to do. He's leaning towards... Uh, going to a Japanese university, like a four-year Japanese university, and uh, you know, which is not something I would I would be interested in doing, but that's kind of his thing, and it's kind of a fascinating notion. If we end up on that side of the world, I'll, I'll let you know. We'll we'll, we'll come say hello. <laughs> uh, that would be, that would be great. Uh, get him to learn a little bit of uh, Japanese cooking because that's my favorite. It's the one thing that I don't do as well as. Uh, I, the Japanese, and, and I don't mean to generalize here, but it, when we look at their culinary traditions and their expertise in what they do, I remember when I was uh, an apprentice chef, our apprenticeship went for four years. And I was told that the Japanese to become a sushi sashimi chef, it's a 10 year apprenticeship. I was like, wow. So serious, the precision is crazy. Fuck. the the attention to detail and the reverence and the respect and the the zen like qualities that they they radiate forth into what they do and then my favorite cuisine in the world <clears throat> and I've traveled the world so much and I will all I would always seek out the best Japanese restaurant that I could find. And I would always try to find the sashimi, the best sashimi in any region wow. that I'm at. And if they had the sushi or sashimi bar, that, that would be where I would want to sit. And I generally would go there by myself. And I would sit down and, and uh, I don't drink very much alcohol, but I would order myself a beautiful sake. And I would just sit let go and surrender and be like a meditation for me because I, I just watch what that master would do with their knife and a piece of fish or pieces mm -hmm. of fish. Mm. Beautiful. And at the end of an hour meal, you feel so good. Like 
everything is just vibrating at this wonderful frequency of just nourishment. And, and it was interesting when I discovered and I promoted paleo ketogenic or ancestral cuisine for so long, it always brought me back to the Japanese way of respecting seafood and, and meat and vegetables. But here's a cuisine that they worked out that they could take a beautiful piece, a beautiful fish, work out how to slice it so that and present raw fish in such a way that it it transcends everything mm. you know when we talk about the culinary world i'm going to talk about it here you know as a young chef we learn how to how to marinate how to fry steam roast smoke stir fry braise um, make curries with all of these ingredients and then you have the opposite of that which is a piece of fish and a knife and maybe a little bit of salt or lemon or uh, soy I said fuck it it just it blows my mind that my favorite cuisine in the world is predominantly just raw fish <laughs> so- that is wild <laughs> I would not have anticipated that I you know the that type of cuisine is the ultimate in a kind of um well i first identified this when i was traveling in europe and i was i was noting the differences i was living in france and i go to italy a lot and there are such massive differences between french and italian cuisine generally speaking and the french are heavily into sauces and it's very worked food very often and the italians will often just combine food they won't even do that much to it and i i i would say to a friend of mine so the basically the italian concept here is we're going to we're going to provide beautiful healthy ingredients and the goal here is just to not fuck them up Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's that's kind of this mindset in japan is that nature gives you everything you need you don't have to use any real artifice you simply have to present it respectfully and the palate will do the rest yeah and it's so simple yet so profound and it it it, it still blows me away I'm doing a cooking retreat here on the weekend. That part of our wellness retreats, we do wellness retreats, yoga retreats, cooking retreats. Um, and I teach people 20 or 25 recipes over a weekend. And they're all meat-based, seafood-based um, with a little bit of vegetables or fruit. And, and it's really, really interesting because I simplify it as much as I can. I just simple, 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 simple. And even last night, my wife and I, we went surfing at um, Kira, which is a, a world famous break here in, in Australia. And we came home and all we had for dinner was a beautiful piece of grass-fed Wagyu steak mm. with a dollop of mustard on the side, organic mustard. You're making me hungry. It was, it was so freaking delicious because it was the best quality meat and we didn't eat much of it. Seared on each side with some salt some good quality mustard on the side it didn't even need the mustard but it could have and often we will just eat a piece of steak for dinner and it's funny after cooking professionally for over 30 years that that is where i've landed 
as a chef and as a father and as a husband and as a home cook that you know because people will think gee she must make some elaborate dishes at home I'm like mm, no it becomes <laughs> sim simpler but it's all about the quality it's all about the quality and it's all about respecting that that one ingredient or two ingredients whether we grow a sweet potato in the garden or a cucumber on the vine or pick some herbs from the garden as well and just that and we're blessed that we've been able to raise our own pigs our own chickens and our own uh, cattle as well over the last decade so we have a freezer full of these beautiful uh, ingredients and, and we fish from time to time and catch some fish too so um, yeah we're, we're very very blessed and, yeah. and and one thing I will say to to the listeners or viewers is that and I'll, I've said it before in this conversation that cooking is the simplest thing in the world and it's something that nobody should be scared of or apprehensive about because I'll say it again it's a list of ingredients and you can simplify it down to one right. <laughs> it's cooked in, cooked in a certain method or sliced in a certain method and then yeah it, it's such a it's such a beautiful gift and I'm so grateful that I went on to this adventure at that age because it has taught me so much in so many different ways and to bring it full circle for people that haven't to go back into my story uh, I ended up on mainstream television for 20 odd years uh, to the point where I hosted a tv series in America for PBS called Movable Feast I did that for eight years leading up to the lockdowns. And at the same time, I hosted Australia's number one TV series for 11 years. And I also worked in Australian media for 10 years prior as a celebrity chef. So I've had this wonderful opportunity to, and that taught me so much about myself too, taking that, um, that leap just, of faith. Can I just say, Peter, just hearing you talk about food like we did for the last few minutes, so eloquently politically and inspirationally it's really obvious why you became popular in that world it's it's, it's it should be really apparent to anyone out there listening to this it's just beautiful it, and so i i it, your genuineness and respect and love for food and the culinary arts just comes just shining through mm -hmm. it's really beautiful. i just wanted to chime in and say that because i was very struck by it well thank you brother and this is this is freaking wonderful because very very rarely do I actually talk about food it's one of the things that people don't really ask me about too much they're, they're more they're more interested in in COVID and vaccines and what it means to stand up against the the mainstream media and uh speaking your truth in in such a time of of censorship and that type of thing so this that's why I, I'm so excited about this conversation today is that we didn't have to go into and we could talk about, see what flowed. And, and obviously for me today, the food and the culinary part of me wants to express itself because mm -hmm. I, I, I honestly do believe that one of the keys to long-term sustainable health and one of the keys to our sovereignty is this one act of, of self-love. And when I talk about self-love and self-nourishment, it really does come down to how do we view ourselves 
how can we respect ourselves in this one journey as a as a spiritual being in a human body what can we do to elevate our frequency and our vibration if anybody believes in that which i do <laughs> what is one thing that we can all do that is so simple to love ourselves unconditionally and i do believe that food is can be the the easiest gateway for that self-love and self-realization and it might sound a bit airy-fairy but i see a lot of people in the health space in the i'll fix your problem space that they don't look after their bodies they don't feed they don't love themselves i was like fuck how can you how can you be a healer or a inspiration for someone when when your earth suit you know i'm being a little judgmental here but i i, I want to drive this point home that it is so simple you know, understand the life force and the healing nature and our bodies are designed to be in homeostasis. Our bodies are not meant to be diseased. We're not meant to get sick, or I, should, I shouldn't say not meant to get sick, but our bodies are designed intelligently in a way that we um, Healthy is our default. Healthy is our default. I like that. And that could be a quite a rebellious statement in a world that we find ourselves in at the moment where there's a pill for everything or we have normalized disease and illness so that it becomes a badge of honor for many many people and i don't say that disrespectfully however i get messages every day from people i even had one yesterday my friend has breast cancer what should, what do you recommend? And I always bring it back. I was like, well, what are they eating? And what are they thinking? What are they eating? And what are they thinking? What is the belief in this person? Do they love themselves? Do they feel safe in this world? Are they able to express themselves creatively, their passions and joys out into the world? Or do they feel muzzled? Do they feel fear of judgment? Do they fear failure? If they do decide to paint that picture and or paint that drawing and someone will judge it in a way that might hurt their feelings. Mm. And and it's a really interesting space when you talk to people, especially one-on-one -on -one in this realm, because it's, it's something that's coming up for me every day. My friend has cancer. My friend has autoimmune disease. My, I have this. What do you recommend? Start with your belief systems. Where do you feel the fear? Where do you feel that you aren't expressing creatively? your talents and desires and wishes and unique gifts in the world? Do you feel like you're being listened to? Do you feel like 
you feel safe in this world to be able to just be you. And generally what I've found over the, over the many years that I've studied this and, and my awareness is that generally those beliefs lead to the poorer choices in how to nourish ourselves. Mm. Why would I? I just want some fucking comfort. I want to feel good. Eating donuts makes me feel good. <laughs> it, it, it makes me warm and fuzzy for the moment. You know, I, I'm craving that emotional fucking, that warmth. If I'm not getting it through my external world, through my friends and family and through my pursuits, how do I get that? You know, and many people get an animal as a pet to yeah. fill that hole. You know, and have pets, you know, I'm not saying that all pet owners are trying to fill a hole, but, you know, these are the, the deep philosophical important questions that we need to ask ourselves. Maybe we don't need to ask ourselves, but if illness or disease enters your life or your friend's or family's life, you know, it, I believe, and I honestly do believe this, it can be a very simple solution that is not a band-aid where it's you go and take a pill or you have some stranger cut a piece of your fucking gut out of you you know irritable bowel syndrome crohn's disease ulcerative colitis i go to a gastroenterologist or the, the gp the medical doctor says you need to see a specialist the specialist you go and see the specialist in this case <clears throat> for gut issues it's the gastroenterologist do you know how many gastroenterologists believe that the foods that we eat have no correlation to anything that goes on in the gut? It's remarkable. They practically it, no nutrition in medical school whatsoever. It's mind-blowing. I mean, the, the studies just came out this week, last week, about um, the, uh, the pharmaceuticals in relation to antidepressants, you know, that the serotonin, belief that they've held for 20 years is a myth same thing wow. happened with alzheimer's research with the sticky plaque that they based all of pretty much their drugs on just came out that there's no fucking science to it to, to it at all well we're and, definitely living in an age of scientism right now and it's affecting everything you know it's all pseudoscience it's all it's all marketing it's based on profit and control and driving narratives I, I wanted to ask you before we stray too far away from some of the previous points, because you made like a veritable plateful, uh, pun intended, of amazing <laughs> points there. Are you, are you familiar with MK, uh, MFK Fisher's The Art of Eating, one of the gr great culinary yeah, yeah, classics? Yeah. So this is, a, yeah. I, I just have to share this quote because it, it really, this is a classic book and it speaks so beautifully to everything you were saying. It reinforces it, all right? She says, I cannot count the good people I know who, to my mind, would be even better if they bent their spirits to the study of their own hungers. Hmm. There are too hmm. many of us, otherwise in proper focus, who feel an impatience for the demands of our bodies and who try throughout our whole lives, none too successfully, to deafen ourselves to the voices of our various hungers. Some stuff the wax of religious solace in our ears. Others practice a Spartan if somewhat pretentious disinterest in the pleasures of the flesh or pretend that if we do not admit our sensual delight in a ripe nectarine, we are not guilty of even that tiny lust. 
I believe that one of the most dignified ways we are capable of to assert and then reassert our dignity in the face of poverty and wars, fears, and pains is to nourish ourselves with all possible skill, delicacy, and ever-increasing enjoyment. And with our gastronomical growth will come inevitably knowledge and perception of a hundred other things, but mainly of ourselves. Hmm. Wow. It's, it's so, so powerful. Such a powerful reading there. One of the things that um, really needs to be understood and felt, I believe, you know, again, this is my perception and belief, but I've been interviewed by 60 Minutes here in this country. I've been interviewed by some of the top reporters and about a decade ago, I was interviewed by our, our number one investigative journalist because uh, I was promoting and still do promote ancestral eating. And the media made a, did their best to shut me up, or, as well as the Australian Medical Association and the Dietitians Association of Australia. There was a, there was a um, full-on attack. They hired publicists to ridicule and defame me in in however way they could and when the reporter came along his name was Mike Willisey <clears throat> he he said we want to do a story on you and what you're promoting and I didn't create the the, the principles behind this they've been around for <laughs> for millennia uh, about ancestral eating and I said to him I said Mike you've got to understand that this is not about an individual getting healthy and and that's the be all and end all of this or, or weight loss. I said, you have to understand the reason that this is being attacked so, so aggressively in this country from the media and also the institutions is that if this was to become our default way of eating as a population, I said, pretty much every single system that has control or perceive control over us at this particular point in time in human history would evolve or devolve or adapt or crumble or disappear in some way shape or form spot on i said, I said the the medical industry that 80 percent of its clientele which is us we know that 80 percent if not more of modern chronic illness is based off our lifestyle choices now the mainstream media will have you believe that it's we're not fit enough and that we need to do more exercise which is bollocks or the um, it's genetic bullshit yeah you know i would say 99 percent of of our lifestyle choices would have to revolve around the food that we eat and I said, so could you imagine the medical industry? What would happen if 80% of its clientele within the space of the year no longer existed? I said, could you imagine what would happen to the pharmaceutical industry if eight out of 10 of their customers no longer needed what they were supplying? Well, could you imagine the, flow on imagine the flow on effect between the political lobby from the pharmaceutical industry to the political parties, what would happen there? And I said, could you imagine if everybody was eating holistically farmed animals, sustainably caught seafood and the technologies that we have to enable 
long-term sustainable health of our oceans and our land and organic farming with no glyphosate. Could you imagine what would happen to the main, to the multinational food corporations? To just think about that because the flow-on effect from them into the mainstream media, what would happen to the mainstream media if they were not propped up with food or, I mean, money from the multinational and fast food corporations? The mainstream media would, would evolve or adapt. I said, could you imagine the nonsense about climate change that so many people are going on about now? If the world was farmed and fished sustainably, and it's possible, it's very possible. So all of these, and I said to Mike, I said, you've got to understand, again, this is not just about individual health. This actually pulls the rug out of so many of these institutions, which is why they're attacking this so aggressively. He went on, he did a 10-week challenge with us and we checked his bloods before and after and his blood levels um, or blood markers I should say all improved within 10 weeks he felt amazing and interestingly enough because I was working with um, some of the people that worked with him they said his clarity his mental clarity improved in ways they'd never seen. He was about 70 years of age at the time. And oh, they wow. said he would struggle sometimes reading um, and doing his voiceovers. They said during that period and, and subsequently in short term after, because he didn't stick to it afterwards, was that they said he was so full of life and so full of energy. And here's the thing. He said to me about a, six months or a year later, he said, Pete, that story that we put out there on national television, mainstream commercial television, he said, I have never been so threatened and received such negativity in his 50-year career and all of the stories that he'd ever done. He said the backlash that he received, not from the public, he said the backlash that he received was unlike anything that he'd experienced in his professional career my goodness just, just let that sink in and in relation to the one thing that we do have control of which is the food that we get to eat so there's something in this and i know there's something in this but just i i, I see it nearly as an act of defiance you know if you can eat and support the farmers support the fisher people if you can grow your own you know it's it's that act of sovereignty it's that act of, I'm not going to participate in your illusionary brainwash system of taking a pill for this, that, and the other, of being diagnosed with this, that, and the other. I'm actually going to, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I believe in my body has the innate intelligence to self-regulate, to be in a state of homeostasis, and I will be my own doctor. And if I push myself physically too hard or my emotional well-being is out of balance, it's up to me to be able to bring that back into alignment. So again, I can stay focused. I can stay strong. I can express myself creatively because I have the energy and the desire to do so now. 
and I have the self-reliance in myself that I am so fucking strong mm. that I can present myself into the world now and achieve my dreams or <laughs> and, and put forth this, this unique, wondrous being who I am, who is so fucking unique that I'm not like my neighbor. I'm not like that person on television. Our whole purpose of being here in my perception is we are so unique and wondrous as individuals and we can come together for common goals and build communities. But I do not want to lose my self to mm. become like anybody else. I want to express who I am unapologetically and unashamedly that, you know, and, and when we look at nature, that's what nature does. It's biodiverse. It's not all the same. <laughs> it's, it's unique. It's wondrous. It's like, oh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. That's so different from that, 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 that. And where we are, I believe right now in, in our human journey as a species is there is such a push for uniformity to make it so that people are too scared to be themselves. People will get canceled. People will be shamed. People will be attacked if they have a differing opinion on the social norms that um, are changing week by week or, or, or being force-fed like a foie gras duck. Mm. <laughs> this is what you must get behind this week. The war in Ukraine, the lockdowns, the mask wearing, save grandma, the next thing, climate change, inflation, whatever it may be. Yeah, there's a you great know, and, Paul uh, Joseph Watson video not too long ago called I Support the Next Thing. Mm -hmm. the current thing something like that you know whatever it is i'm gonna you know, i can i can be co-opted my consciousness my my soul energy can be co-opted to support this narrative and then i'm actually supporting the very thing that's trying to limit and perhaps even destroy me mm -hmm. no i support myself right on but my work is very much in alignment with you, like what you're saying, absolutely very much in alignment with you down to the idea that we are God. We are God through our imagination. We have unlimited power and potential. We are also individualized and in learning how to work with other individuals who are part of that diaspora of consciousness. It's very, very important. One of the, one of the things, another thing I should say that would happen in your scenario of people beginning to feed themselves better and and work with better practices in terms of food cultivation ethically and sustainably and all of these types of things we were discussing would be for people would automatically begin looking with newfound respect at ancestral wisdom across the globe mm -hmm. and this would crush all of the all of these psychological and historical narratives that have been implanted by those who would be our controllers mm-hmm yeah I, I i did a wonderful interview a couple of years ago actually maybe even three years ago before the nonsense was really <laughs> ramped up but i interviewed uh alberto bolotto he was um he was a neuroscientist that 
has written books on shamanism, especially to do with ayahuasca in South America. But one of the things he came to realize was that, and, and this is his his area of research and his his study, is like if we are eating ancestrally, the spiritual connection that we all have that basically that bridge and especially when we do ingest a plant medicine or a animal medicine it becomes easier and, and I, i'm paraphrasing here but he, he goes it becomes easier when we are in a basically a, a ancestral way of eating the bridge is 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 stronger yeah. to our spiritual our spiritual connection from our, to ourselves and everything. And I found, I found that really quite interesting because very few people that I interviewed in the psychedelic or spiritual world really put that, those two parts together. He actually talks about being, having um, in a mild state of ketosis is the best for spiritual awakening. And that's what we've been promoting for a long, long time. And uh, basically it's just an ancestral way of eating. Um, good quality protein, uh, enough quality fat, and uh, a lower carbohydrate uh, diet, and and I thought that's that makes so much sense when you really think about it. When we look back, as you just mentioned, to our ancestral wisdom, how they lived, how the respect that they had with their locations in which they lived, with nomadic or whether they were more fixed and how in tune they were with the seasons and the stars and the moons and and their environment and the respect that they had going back to talking about the Japanese and their their reverence to quality seafood or quality meat or quality produce you know they don't waste anything they've worked out ways in which everything is is used and utilized and when we think about the way our ancestral brothers and sisters and forefathers and forced mothers would look at killing an animal and what that meant how they would do it what that meant to the village or to their family who got the best bits was it the couple that was wanting to conceive the next life form we know through the records and through the work of um, such luminaries such as Weston A. Price and his wife that when he traveled around the world nearly 100 years ago and studied indigenous tribes, that was what they discovered. The pregnant women or the, the, the man and the woman prior to conception of the next generation, they would get the best parts of the kill. And the best parts of the kill was the organ meats. And the the organ. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And... Now we live in a culture where it, in the Western culture as well, I should say, not so much in, in Asia or different parts of Europe, you know, they still hold on to those beliefs that the best part of the animal is actually the, the organ meats. And I grew up in a, in a family, no disrespect to my mum, but it was not something that was educated to us because it was not part of her upbringing. Whereas I've had to... I've had to learn how to appreciate these foods from a, a youth growing up in a culture where it was never on our dinner table to eat liver or brains or kidney or spleen or, or what it, blood. 
bones and uh, all of those beautiful parts of the animal. Bourdain and was a wonderful, a wonderful organ meat missionary. I yeah. think because so it tastes because it tastes so good, right? You know, and, and I don't think many chefs come come to the understanding yet, and uh, I'm generalizing here, but how nutritious it is for us. You know, liver has the part of my journey was understanding the nutrient density of food, and I interviewed this wonderful man, uh, Matt Lalonde, is at Harvard University, and and he did a a he released his phd i think it was about nutrient density in food mm. and liver animal liver and oysters were at the top two of for human beings as pretty much containing everything that we need in Amazing. higher doses than anything else like on his scale they were they were at the top of the um the roller coaster ride and Many of the foods that we have been led to believe that many people have told us are, are good for us or healthy for us, they were like at the bottom of the roller coaster, at the bottom of the ladder. It's like, wow, wow. And when he described it and, and others have described why you see it, and, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like, mm. okay, I get it. Vitamin A, vitamin K2, selenium calcium, magnesium, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And once you see it again, you say, okay, I'm going to have to adjust my thinking here because I never liked liver. I never liked oysters. <laughs> uh, it's like, fuck, okay. I have to go on this journey to work out how I can retrain my and change my palate to view these foods as delicious it was a challenge. I tell you, it was a challenge. It was probably one of the biggest challenges I've had to go through. But now, oysters, liver, heart, kidneys, right, brain, right. blood, sausage, they are the most delicious foods I can ever eat. You know, they, I, we, we can turn, we can change who we are. We can change who we are. And now it, I'll tell you, if I can learn to love offal and I was the fussiest kid in the world, and if I can learn to love bits. all of that, <laughs> any, anybody can, I promise you, I promise you it's achievable. Sorry about that. Well, I, wanted, I wanted people to know, Pete, that, you know, there are kind of shortcuts and baby steps that people can take on this journey that won't blow them out of the water. Like you can mix ground heart with ground beef in your taco seasoning and make yourself a taco mm -hmm. and you'll never know the hearts in there and it will be nourished exactly. beautifully so that you don't have to jump in the deep end if you're not ready to do that exactly and and my wife and i we popped into a mechanic yesterday and he had all these traps on the on rabbit traps on his wall of his beautiful clean mechanic workshop and I said what are all the traps for he goes I, i'm a my family's three generations of trappers. Wow. Which is unique to see here in, in Australia. Uh, first time I'd seen it. And, um, and so we started, my wife was having a great conversation because she comes from New Zealand and she was talking about how she, how her and her father, her father was a butcher and they used to hunt rabbits. And um, they were talking about all the different ways to eat rabbit. And she goes, Oh, you must love the liver and the kidney. And he's like, no, 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 I don't really. 
So we started this conversation about how beautiful these foods are. But then he says, I do love pate. And pate is pretty much 50%, 60% liver. I guess it's such a funny thing. because people go, on the planet. My, my daughters, you know, they love pate. We eat it every time I'm with them. And what I found fascinating is people say, I don't eat offal, but they don't see pate as being made from offal. They're like, but I love awful. <laughs> so baby steps for people. If you, if you, uh, if you love awful, then um, I mean, if you love love pate, you're already three quarters of your way there. So I wanted to tell you something, Pete. That as this conversation has progressed, the lighting in your room—it's like coming down through your center of your face. Now I can barely see your face. Now this isn't a problem. It's very interesting. It's almost like the Shushumna channel you know, and your energy body. And also there's kind of this sun-like burst of light coming around you like you're in your Christ consciousness speaking absolute frigging truth. <laughs> that, that's how it's like coming across. Me. It's like you're so on point with all of this. It's brilliant. Um, yeah. I, I I gotta, wanna... I'll have to thank my light, my lighting guys behind me set this up. No, it's I'm really joking. Cool. It's just the sun. But it's grown and grown and grown. So it's been a natural thing. So the light of you know truth is dawning here. I know that you know we we were headed in this direction, and I wanted to come around the bend so that you know people understand that you were kind of at the top of the mountain, and then you got attacked well before the pandemic uh, for for some of your beliefs and teachings around around food and uh, uh, you know the importance of diet and health. And then, then a lot of other stuff came up during the pandemic, and then you kind of switched what you were doing. You kind of pivoted to some extent. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there it it was a kind of knees bent approach that you had to all of this, and it really made me wonder if, in in some ways, you know, it's possible to for people to even see the the uh, the difficulty and the restrictions with this current wave of tyranny as being a, just a catalyst for positive change in their lives. I wonder if mm -hmm. you could speak to any of that before we close out, because I kind of wanted to go there because that was something that I had thought a lot about where your work is concerned. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> this whole life is a trip you know, and for everybody, not just me, but for everybody. I mean, when we look at our lives and our, and our journeys, you know, each and every one of us is a wild ride. Everyone has a story to tell and, and continue to tell that story as, as I started off this conversation, you know. I want to be very conscious not to fall into that habitual telling of the same story because <clears throat> it can trap us it can it, I, I feel like it can it, it can it can tether us down and I, I see it so often in in so many people I think it was Barbara yeah. Marciniak who said um in one of her books you know it's okay to tell your story but change it a little bit every time mm, yeah you know, don't don't trap yeah. yourself in some kind of memory of what you think was the truth because yeah. that's very subjective mm. so 
the 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 trip continues <laughs> the trip continues and uh like any good uh psychedelic journey it has its twists and turns and you know you, you have to let go of expectations you need to let go and surrender to 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 your journey in saying that it doesn't mean that we can't plan and we can't have intentions and we can't uh, put one foot forward in front of the other you know that's what we're here to do and the last couple of years have been fading in so many ways uh, personally and collectively personally i've pretty much had the opportunity to to see if I can walk the walk hmm. from talking the talk and uh, I, I'll, I'll repeat my story that I've repeated many many times that most people ask me about and as mentioned earlier I was on one of our most watched commercial televisions I was the boy next door for many years I could do no wrong in the in the media's eyes until I started talking about eating ancestrally and then then the wrath came from that sector um, mm. which was fine as I mentioned I I was well equipped through my culinary training and psychedelic experiences to be able to um, see that for what it was and, and realize it had no no bearing on me whatsoever it couldn't affect who I was because I'd learned uh, through my years not to really give a fuck about what anybody thinks you know it's their, it's their shit and nothing is going to stop me from expressing myself and then COVID entered our world and uh, when that happened I was like mm, this feels off you know there was just a feeling like this doesn't make any sense whatsoever and because I'd been through the journey of of dietary deception over the last 10 years and and to put a little bit more of a backstory in um i created with my team a documentary called the magic pill which ended up on netflix which was seen globally uh, if you believe in the globe or let's let's just say on earth because <laughs> you know? um, i know a few of your listeners might might take offense to the word globe right, but um, I'll, I'll use it in this context um so it we, it was seen by by many people, and then it was tried to be shut down by our medical associations. They demanded Netflix remove this this dangerous film from their from their platform, which which promoted organic eating. <laughs> you know the, the insanity right. of the absurd, absurdity of that. Um, so I was quite well versed and and understood the the forces that be that tried to stop information from reaching the masses, and. I had close to 2 million followers on Facebook and Instagram collectively. And when the COVID thing came out, I pretty much called it a hoax. I think a month or two into it. <laughs> I remember posting. Right, right. It's, a, it's, a it's a fucking hoax. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, don't, you know, be aware of what this is. Be aware of what this is. Be careful. Yeah. And then when the masks started coming in, I was like, you know, there's, and I was interviewing doctors at that point in time, doctors that were open to speaking out about our immune system and wearing masks and vaccines were just sort of starting to enter into the narrative of the only way out is going to be world vaccination status. Yeah, I was like, 
holy fuck and and years before i was doing a uh, tour around australia called the paleo way tour and, and i'd get up with with special guests from here in australia and naturopaths doctors dentists um athletes and we also had nora gigatis wonderful woman from uh, portland oregon who wrote a book called primal body primal mind who i still think is one of the most important books to read about dietary health and we invited her over to to do a stage show and she could share her information because she's so intellectually um, uh, bright and and has a way with words and she said to us way back probably eight years ago she said to my wife and i <coughs> that <coughs> when they announce global or world vaccine um as a remedy for something in the future be very very careful this is how they're going to depopulate the world this is eight years ago and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> you mean they're going to bring in a vaccine for every single person on the planet that doesn't already exist so when this when I started hearing the Bill Gateses and the politicians start to talk about, we need to vaccinate the world, we need to vaccinate the population. The, the alarm bells were ringing very loudly at that particular point in time. I was like, whoa. Mm. And then subsequently you read the 2030 agenda, the World Economic Forum, and everything's in plain sight now. So I continued to do what I'd been doing previously in the dietary realm and just change uh, tune and actually turn the volume up a little bit more with this COVID nonsense. And um, it wasn't received very well <laughs> from, from, the, from the powers that be. And uh, yeah, they decided to cancel me in, we had our Facebook and Instagram permanently deleted without warning, Spotify and removed my podcasts way before, um, yeah, way before many. and. Um, and every single business partner that I was involved with, and I had about 10, uh, publicly dumped me as well because the media made up a story about me being a neo-Nazi. was the last thing that they had to use to discredit me. Um, not that I am a neo-Nazi. Um, I didn't even know what the word meant. <laughs> I was that naive about it all. <clears throat> um, but they try to paint me with the brush that they've painted with to so many. Right. Um, they always use the white supremacists and neo-Nazi and uh, racist card when they've got nothing else to use. So, um, so that was a really interesting part of the trip to go through to basically be deserted for, uh, financially from so many people and on a friendship level, so many of these people um, publicly separated their ways with me. And these are friends so-called friends and even to this day these people have not been in contact with me on a personal level nor responded to any emails or phone calls or message that i've sent them so that was a really interesting part of the journey for me to go through to go okay this why is this happening how are you going to deal with such a traumatic shift of of changes be it financially, being the people that you can reach, uh, your visibility in the world. 
from being such a high profile person to pretty much disappearing with no way to communicate. Um, and then having pretty much every financial stream cut off within the space of 24 hours <laughs> and, you know, being a, a, a provider in my family sense, you know, and having two children from an ex-partner and supporting my mother and supporting a way of life that I'd become accustomed to. It's like, ooh, how are you going to deal with this, Mr. Evans? Yeah, right. You've had 20, 30 years of walking this path of, of self-improvement, of spiritual growth, if you like to call it, or human growth and, and setting goals and achieving them and being centered and grounded. Can you deal with, how are you, you know, it's not, can you deal with it, but how are you going to deal with this, this, this abrupt change of your reality? And, um, and again, like every trip, or every, you know, maybe people don't like that word trip, but every initiation or experience or journey that we go on, like, okay, what, what do we do? We set our intention. We remove our expectations. We surrender, trust, and we move forward. And it, moving forward can be incrementally, <laughs> millimeter by millimeter, or it can be a huge leap. Or it can be staying in the one spot for a while, like you said about your son, having a year off and then working out what the next path is, you know? So that all of those things was a, a beautiful gift to re-embody and, and basically have a clean slate in which we could, when I say we, my wife and I, uh, create the next path for us. Without all of that noise, without all of that, those connections that I once had. And that was so freeing in such a way, like when that all happened, neither of us went into a state of panic or, or anything. We actually felt more freedom than we'd ever felt before. It was like, okay this is happening for us it's got to be beneficial maybe we can't see it just yet or feel it just yet but trust in this experience trust surrender accept and love and go deep <laughs> and uh and um lo and behold i was like okay well what do i like reaching people and learning and teaching yes so we created our Evolve platform, which is a subscription-based platform that's uncensored, that exists outside of the matrix, so to speak. And, and it was a, a big leap of faith that was to be able to put something out there that we had to invest in and who knew whether it would succeed or not. And it's been a beautiful journey. Whether it succeeds financially or not is not really that relevant. It's just can I still express myself creatively? And it's been one of the greatest joys. And, and we downsized, we sold pretty much everything that we had. And we moved west into the forest and found a beautiful location where we could set up a little, as mentioned, a seven cabin wellness retreat and cooking retreat, you know, total I change of, of life. And 
we have become breathwork facilitators. My wife uh, serves ceremonial tea in our space, ancient Taiwanese and Chinese practice of serving tea, non-psychedelic, but equally as profound as a psychedelic journey. And we now host yoga retreats, wellness retreats, fasting retreats, cooking retreats. We're setting up, as we speak, a, a new studio, which is going to be Pilates studio. And we just ran our first detox retreat where a naturopath leased our space and brought her own clients in. And we, uh, um, we love that. So and we, we're now living in a forest with a running stream. We've got our unlimited water supply. We're growing our own fruits and vegetables. And we're, yeah, we're happier and freer than we've ever been. And, and it's such a, it's, it, and social media, for instance, we found Telegram and Telegram is has been the best social media platform that I've found to express myself with. And our guests that arrive have come to us predominantly through Telegram. It's just, That's it's wild. Thing. It's wild. We haven't had a website. We just launched our website a year and a bit into running our retreat because I wanted to see if I could nearly... From where we land, from where we were to where we landed, I wanted to test the waters of because people were like, "Are you going to go back on Facebook? Are you going to go back on Instagram?" I'm like, oh, "I don't think I can because now I know how those who runs that, and I don't feel comfortable going back into that system." So I thought, "Okay, well, let's see how I can exist outside of that." And Telegram popped up and. Like, can we market our way just using Telegram and word of mouth? And it's worked. <laughs> brilliant. Like, so brilliant. Yeah, you know, it's this, it's a, that trusting again. And um, yeah, so here we are. I, I'm the only thing I do these days is run retreats every weekend or every second weekend with my beautiful wife, and we get to connect with six to eight guests that come we we limit it to a very small group and i do interviews uh, for my podcast channel which i absolutely love and i occasionally do this you know i'll do one of these where i'd be interviewed out of every 20 or 30 where i'm into the interviewing seat and we keep adding content to the evolve platform so from a very entrepreneurial person that had many fingers and many pies. Now I've pretty much got two pies and that's plenty. I'm very content. I'm very satiated. It's nearly going back to that Zen-like quality that we talked about with uh, the Japanese chefs. What can we do with quality? Less is more without being without having so much distractions in our life and yeah that's 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 where i've landed now or, or where i've walked the path to get to um and that came about through the trust and surrendering and but also setting an intention of what we wanted to bring forth into this world and it's nearly like 
I had journeyed with the masses and now we're journeying with the few. Mm. What is that like for my identity as Pete Evans to, to feel what that is like, you know, and, and I'm absolutely loving it, loving being away from the public eye, loving being away from the mainstream. And I get asked every few months to appear on a mainstream media television program such as Survivor or SAS or Celebrity This or That. And, and I'm quite happy saying no at this particular point in time because I want to see what it's like and feel what it's like outside of the public, public identity realm, you know. And, and one thing I've learned is I don't need it at all to feel fulfilled. So, yeah, it's, it's, to go on this journey has been very rewarding and, um, yeah, very nourishing. Wow. You know, when I thought about this chat we were going to have and visualized how it might turn out i i had a good feeling about it but this has far exceeded my expectations I, and i feel like we've gone into some amazing you know uh supplemental territory on the journey and your story is just so so inspiring it really really is i want to make sure that people know you can be you can be reached somewhere and that's peteevans.com right mm-hmm Yep. And Telegram, Chef Pete Evans. And I, I, I would love to just finish with this as well, is that we are living a, our dream, my wife and I at the moment, with, with what we've created. But we are also detached from holding on to this as well. We've had the discussion, like mm. we're happy to let it all go and we could live in a van if, if needed be and just camping on the beach and fishing and building a fire. And, and you know, we can adapt. And, and that's the last thing that I wanted to, to mention is human beings have the great strength to be able to adapt to anything. And you know, what are the great sayings, whatever you are. I was watching Fight Club, talking about watching the great movies. I was watching Fight Club with my youngest daughter the other night because she hasn't, hasn't seen it. And one of the, the wonderful things that Tyler Durden says in that is Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is Tyler Durden. He says, careful that what you own doesn't end up owning you. And whether that is a business or a job or a relationship or anything that we hold on to too tightly. So be okay to walk away from, from your dreams once you've achieved it too, and not to be too attached to it. Um, yeah. I just wanted to add that last little bit in that, um, that detachment can also be a beautiful thing. Well, I just feel like we just got a major download from from a very balanced heart and head combination from from you today, and I really want to just honor you and express my gratitude for this this time that you've given us so generously. And and I I hope this won't be our last uh, our last little chat like this. I've I really enjoyed it. Mm, me too. Thank you for letting me uh, go on my <laughs> my my journey and my uh, expression.
and uh, love to everybody if you've stuck around till the end of this podcast. Um, yeah, I love you. And thank you for sharing an hour and a half of your life with me.